Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today I'm delighted to be speaking to Vicky Plomer all the way in the UK. Hi Vicky, thanks so much for making time to come and talk to us. Hi Joss, thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. So Vicky is a mother to three boys and a stepdaughter. Her boys are 16, 12 and 4 and her stepdaughter is 27. She came to Aware Parenting in 2020 after a background training in performing arts and a career as a dancer, a dance teacher, and a choreographer. She is trained in person-centered counseling, and she works as a student well-being lead on a government-funded dance course for 11 to 19-year-olds. She works in some aware parenting instructor and offers one-to-one parent and couple support, attachment play workshops for parents and children, and she has a workshop for adults, teachers, and therapists that's coming in April. She also loves working with dance schools, exploring how to bring in more play, choice, and autonomy into dance training, and eventually she's hoping to explore how you can heal from daily stress and trauma in a dance class. So that sounds amazing. Thanks again so much for coming on. So I always start by asking, how did you find Aware Parenting? And I'm really interested in, in your story about this, of course, because your your kids were 13 and, and 9 and 1 when you discovered this way of parenting. So I'd love to hear how that journey's been for you. Yeah, so it was actually a journey to come into Aware Parenting. My sister, I'd often talk to my sister a lot about what was happening in the home and different things that had been going on. And at one point she just started going, well, actually, I can suggest that you listen to this, this podcast about this, this and this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. But I just know I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to listen to stuff. So we would go. And it happened, I'm sure, over like probably a six month period. She kept on going, well, there is a podcast all about that that you could listen to. And then eventually I thought, all right, let me hear what listen to what she's going on about. And then as soon as I listened to some of uh, Marion and Lael's podcasts, I just was completely, just completely resonated with me. So I definitely resisted it. And I definitely now looking back have trusted the timing of when I came to Aware Parenting. And then I went straight on and actually I instigated becoming an instructor and pulled my sister and my best friend into also becoming um, Aware Parenting instructors <laughs> with going through Rebecca doing the mentoring program. And we actually, I kind of encouraged them saying oh it's just learning a little bit more about it for me come along so we can share the cost <laughs> and they're both like oh yeah I'd like to know and then in the end now they both weren't going to be instructors and at the end of it are now just coming instructors this month I think so yeah it's very wow. I love that story and I loved how you talked about trusting the timing because often if we don't start this way of parenting right from the very very beginning there is a tendency to have some some guilt or some some feelings around ourselves that we wished we'd found it earlier or we wish we'd known back at the beginning what we know now and that kind of thought. So I love that you talked about trusting the timing of when this came into your life. And how beautiful that your best friend and your sister have done the training too. 
So what was it about it that you love initially? What what was it that drew you in when you first started listening to the podcast? I think it definitely taking away, like you said, that guilt and shame of how I parented before and trusting in what was happening in the now. And I just love the fact that you could obviously building deeper connection and bonding with the children and just taking the pressure off having to fix and having to like correct it's that feeling of just being able to sit and listen to the feelings and to accept them was just incredible for me because I've always been right I'm such a come on let's go next thing next thing I'm that part of my personality and it would just be able to have the confidence to sit and to listen because I had done level three counseling training earlier on in my life but not really thought how you could bring that kind of true listening into the home and so when I heard about the aware parenting it was just like wow this feeling of just being able to listen and not correct not to do not to change was just incredible for me and such a game changer definitely found the journey a lot easier with starting with my four my one-year-old at the time my four-year-old now and then it's still I would say it's a big journey with my older two from kind of really listening in to the backlog and I definitely still have to remind myself trust the timing of when the stuff's going to come because they've had a lot of years of authoritarian and permissive parenting from me so coming into this kind of democratic way of parenting I would definitely say that I have to remind myself to yes drop the guilt and shame and just sit in the moment and trust what's happening wow it's so profound, isn't it? It's just so amazing. I mean, I love what you're saying about that, about not going into guilt and shame. I think just removing that from our lives is is one of the most powerful things that we can do and to model to our children as well. But I loved what you're talking about, increasing the connection that you have with your children. And I loved also what you're saying about taking away a lot of the pressure when you don't feel that you have to be fixing things but instead you're just having this acceptance to what's there and then holding that space. And I loved what you were saying about bringing bringing that true listening that you learned in your work as a counsellor and bringing that then into the home and, and offering that to your kids. And there is often, yeah, when we come to this later, we, there is a backlog of accumulated feelings, but really regardless of how we've parented from the beginning, even if we've done aware parenting right from the word go, our children are always going to have accumulated feelings anyway. We're never going to be able to listen to all of them. So I think that's quite a common story for, for lots of us. But I'd love to learn a bit more about how that looked in your family. So what, what did you notice that was showing you that they had a backlog of feelings other than like your understanding of aware parenting, suggesting that that would be the case? But what, what did you see? What did you notice? Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like there's still plenty of backlog to come. I don't feel like and obviously as you say absolutely it's building and the journey is continual right so what I see with it's different for each child but with my 12 year old he has a lot of anger a lot of frustration and a lot of whys why why are you doing this now and then he often says stop doing that I don't want you to, why are you doing that and I it's so I'm literally stood there and I'm not doing you know I'm literally doing nothing but standing there and he's like what are you doing? Stop standing there. No, go back. Do like, as if asking me to go back to what I used to do because the pain, whatever I, I probably just shouted, I guess, is what I must have done. But because the pain of listening to his feelings is so painful for him and, and processing them is so painful that he obviously finds it uncomfortable to be there. But 
it's incredible to watch the shift and when he moves into tears and then you can just see it's not immediate I would say necessarily that he comes round and we have a cuddle and he's all you know in in his pure center but it's that he later that day or the next day he comes in and he is so because sometimes he's not willing to play with his four-year-old brother but then the next day or later that day he's like going straight into playing with his with his sibling and it's just incredible to watch and you can just see that from that release he had the day before or earlier that day that he's then so much more centered to be able to allow other connections in and I would say he's a highly sensitive child as well so he it's a lot for him to uh, share his play space it's a lot for him to be open with his younger brother so you can definitely see once he's shifted that he has got the capacity he's got much more capacity but it's the urgency the urgency is so clear for me when there's that urgent feeling to get things shifted and and the words become urgent the body becomes urgent there's more like now 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 I need to do this now you know I can see that and it just rises yeah and you can just see they're completely out of balance Mm, yeah yeah it's amazing I love with aware parenting that we are encouraged to be the expert in our children and and we're encouraged to observe them and observe how they are after releasing to be able to get reassurance that this is really working for us so I love that yeah what we're really looking for so often particularly when our children are a bit older is that sense of urgent inflexibility and and demand demandingness I suppose to to show us Mm. feelings there And I'd love to ask you then, in relation to that, what changes have you noticed in your children after three years of of practicing this way of parenting? Are there things that you're aware of in terms of how they they are, how they behave, how they show up? Yeah, my 16-year-old, actually, he, the way that he interacts with my four-year-old, his play is completely different. So he's watched our attachment play and watched the paraversal and my four-year-old comes loves the old pushing and dushing comes straight in for a good old get the pillow out and knock the pillow down and he just charges at it he just runs and charges so we hold the pillows and he just comes flying at them and so my 16 year old will happily go into wrestling play and we'll hold that and just incredible I mean they've got a beautiful connection anyway he's yeah it's a really beautiful loving connection yeah and then I think with my 12 year old there's much less that it can shift quicker I think now the feelings of unsettledness can shift quicker and my four-year-old is very good at pushing until he gets his release (laughs) like in terms of if he has to play and get stuff out he will just keep going or the the whining or whatever it might be he just knows he needs some and uh, you know as soon as you go or special time play uh, non-directive play that's been really, really great to build the connection. I can see that the want, they all really love, like even my 16 year old, we try and still keep it in every weekend. We just have like, you know, special the time and we've had some great, actually they do some, they've chosen some great things. Now they, the last one we did, we went out, my 16 year old went for a drive and he did the indicator on the car to where we were going. So he completely controlled where the journey went and he took me on a journey around to go to somewhere that he wanted to see. So I was like, oh, maybe give me an indication now when we're pulling up to the <laughs> to the corner of the road. So, yeah, so I can just see they move into a bit more of knowing what they need, I guess. Mm. 
Oh, I love that description. And it's so touching, isn't it? When we see, I loved how you were describing your 16 year old offering attachment play to your, to your youngest. And mm. it's so beautiful and touching for us to see that really, really beautiful. And I love how you're describing the noticeable shift and difference in the connection that you have with them too. And that feelings start to shift more quickly. And I love that because when we are, when we're listening to feelings, they come, they're big. We hold them and then they're gone. And when we're not offering that to our children, that's when these things like linger around for a really long time impacting their behavior. And it's just this sort of endless cycle of big feelings, but never really getting anywhere. Whereas when we listen, it just it shifts so quickly, doesn't it? And I loved what you were describing about those power reversal games with your son and the driving, because like sometimes we forget, especially with older children, about bringing attachment play in. And I love that the power reversal element is still so important. And we do lots of that in my family. Pretty much every day I do something with my daughter around that attachment play. And the power reversal bit is so, so yummy. And it's quite easy to do because often they're actually better, faster, bigger, <laughs> more capable yeah. than we are at things anyway. And we played this game last night where we were singing this karaoke game and it's some app on something on her phone anyway but she was way better at it than I was or or we might go to the gym together and she would like design a a workout routine for us or something and it's just it's just such a beautiful and powerful way to connect with them so I loved hearing that description I know that you're really interested in play and you're running this play workshop coming up soon what do you think are, are some of the most important things for people to understand about attachment play just that you're able to completely shift what the behaviors are underneath through play like it doesn't have to be you can just come in and just change the whole you know obviously if there's tears that need to come then yeah welcoming the tears but if there's agitation or frustration or whatever's going on you know you can come in with some play and really allow the child to to move into a different place and to process and and heal and I just feel like it it's so relevant in and especially in the dance and stuff that I'm doing now, like I'm really interested looking at how you can just bring it into daily life, like little parts of play, how it can just come in. I recognize obviously that it's super hard when we're not in a centered place to do that. And I recognize that myself regularly when, you know, when you're not when you haven't had the space and time that you need. But yeah, I just really feel that there's much more to play than meets the eye kind of like if you just had a few more bits of understanding about paraverse or about contingency or um, cooperative play you know if you just have that lovely information that Alisa gives of her nine stars of attachment play then it can just transform what the child's experience is and I just yeah and can also take the pressure off yourself trying to you know again it's that I guess that's probably part of my personality trying to make it okay trying to fix things but actually really the non-directive play allowing to follow them it's just incredible that was a total game changer in our house my husband I'm like you know I look at him I'm like he needs one-on-one play like you going or am I going he's like yeah I'm on it and then he goes up and then you know allowing that space I think it's just that empowerment that you can just really trust in your children. And it's that an added layer of trusting the child, trusting their journey and having that, yeah, that empowerment to do that through the play as well is really powerful. Mm. 
I love that. And it's so much around when we do trust their processes around play and we're just there to facilitate and to support and to give presence and to give love and connection, they find their way in the most incredibly clever they always yeah. come up with these amazing games to to be able to get to exactly what it is that they need to get to. So I love that thought about, yeah, we just trust them to find their way with it, but it's so powerful. And I, I liked how you were talking there about how sometimes when we've got big feelings ourselves, it can be quite hard to have capacity to offer play. And I wonder what you might be willing to share around how this aware parenting your children journey has been for you as in aware reparenting yourself and, and doing the two in, in parallel together, um, anything that you might be willing yeah. to share about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely transformative. Like it's just given me so much more space to, I would say I've been kind of going on this in a journey for the last 10 years, but it's just really allowed me the space to look back at what I received as a child and, and my journey and offered me so much more healing for, you know, the way that I was parented and, and taking that forward um, in changing and looking and noticing the patterns that are there and it's so nice so fortunate having my sister on the journey too because we can talk and I can go ah oh, so you know what do you remember from kids when it was like that how do you remember you know and kind of getting and then trying to break some of those habitual patterns that you don't even know that are there so it's really yeah it's been a real massive journey for me internally and I would say that's one of the biggest joys of aware parenting is having that opportunity to explore myself and to look at what is coming up for me and yeah listening partners empathy buddies you know that has been a, a game changer as well having that support to process what's happening for me on a daily basis well not quite a daily basis but you know <laughs> with that when I've got the listening partner yeah so yeah really really powerful Mm, I loved how you described that. Yeah, that inner journey and giving us space to to reflect on our childhood and how that offers us so much healing. And I can imagine doing it with your sister would be really profound too, to be able to have those deep conversations about all kinds of things from your childhood. So what what does listening look like for you? Do you have a listening partner? How how does that how did you set that up and, and how do you actually practice that? Because often we say, Oh, it's a really good idea to get a listening partner. Go get yourself an empathy buddy. But it can be really helpful to hear how how that looks for different people. Yeah. So the first listening partner was I've done Lael Stone's immersion. And a lady reached out to me who is living in the UK, but's moved out to Australia. And so I've been talking with her now for, yeah, a couple of years now, I guess. And we just do voice notes. So that's really helpful. And it's really great with the time difference. It means that I don't have to worry about what time of day it is because she'll be asleep or not. And so we just do voice notes. and It's really accessible and easy because it's on my time frame. And then we just listen to each other. And we have a complete understanding that we listen when we can and there's no pressure to listen if you're not available to and totally to offload our stuff if we can't listen to theirs and know that we're going to come back to it later. So we've got that great understanding that if we just need to offload, we offload and then we'll listen to each other's when we have the capacity. And then I have another lady who I reached out on the listening, I can't remember what it's called, but the Aware Parenting Listening Partnerships page. And I put a post on there and had got a response um, from another lady in the Netherlands. So we meet once a week at a set time on uh, over the uh, the internet and we do 10 minutes each and reflection um as well if we want it so that's kind of a set one which is really nice because it's we can see each other it's over the screen so we've got that 
but then I've got the other one where I can do the voice notes. So yeah. And then I've had a couple of others as well that just have, through time have kind of come in and out and yeah. So it's brilliant. I really value it. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. It's such a priority in my life. Um, and I loved the, how you're describing the power of the voice noting. And it's not just about the convenience for us. It's also there's something about something about expressing it into your phone and knowing that somebody else is going to mm. listen at some point that just really helps to get clarity as well. So I love that you do both. There was some woman in one of our groups in the community that Marion and I run for Aware Parenting and Natural Learning who has five listening partners. And I just think that's awesome. Wow. I think so great. Yeah. Because there's really. always times when someone's sick or someone can't come. And so it means that she's always got somebody to connect with and sometimes multiple people to connect with. Um at the same time so I think that's awesome and I think it's just so it's so important for people to understand that because I think yeah often we come to aware parenting thinking it's all about the kids and then we're like well actually it's it's all about us and yeah definitely and we just can't do it it's so much harder to to do this definitely so, so what about some of the things that you found really challenging with aware parenting are you willing to to share some of that and how you've how you've gone about dealing with those challenges so I, uh, with the, I've got a good age range <laughs> from the, the children, 16, 12 and four. And I find that the evenings are never like they're never ending because you start kind of 630 and you're still going through till kind of 10 at night because of the age range and spending the time with the children. And so I think that I've found that to be quite challenging and having space in myself for that period of time with the multiple children to listen to the feelings and to be there. And obviously the evenings, right. The, from our house anyway, one of the hardest times where everything's built up in the day and they're all in education. So they, you know, they're all coming out with lots of big emotions. So I think what I actually did was quit my job <laughs> was one starter in the day and freed up more space and then went back to kind of freelance teaching and, and doing bits that I am now and quit kind of the full-time work to allow space for myself because just being refueled and having the space in the day to refuel is so important for allowing space in the evening. So I would say that can be quite challenging and having the capacity in myself to listen to the feelings and or just to do attachment play even like I think that can be a struggle when you're like we've talked about already that when you're not resourced that that can be quite a struggle to do the attachment place and then obviously when the young one was waking in the night and then the older one's going to bed late or like picking up from clubs like if I'm doing you know they don't do a lot of evening clubs but more actually to be honest it's more waiting for my 16 year old to come back from his girlfriend's house that is like staying up I'm not really one I don't want to go to sleep yet until I know he's in the house so I might wait up for him to get back and then but then the four-year-old might wake then at like five or something and then you've got you know you've got a small amount of sleep going on so it's kind of that yeah juggling of getting your needs met with managing the various ages and I guess that has been prioritizing my time and making sure that I can have the space I need to refuel, having the listening partners, getting connection in with my husband. We're trying to get in and doing like a date once a month, like trying to have some time because that's the other thing. We don't, he's at work all day, he gets in and then we don't get our connection either because the evening is filled with kind of listening to the feelings or attachment play or whatever it needs to be. And then the functional things of food and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So 
I think we've been really trying to make sure that we have our once a month time together because, and obviously throughout the week, connection points, but it's just like we've, we did an escape room together. That was quite fun. <laughs> I'm trying to find fun for us so that we can keep bringing that back to the back to the home because that uh, it, otherwise, if you don't put it in, it just slips, right? Because the days seem to go quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just about connection with your partner. It's also about bringing play and fun and lighthearted yeah, yeah. connection together. It's, so it's it's the importance of making time and prioritizing that time for each other, but also bringing that play and laughter and fun in. Because often we forget that that's part of our healing as well, to, to be having fun and to be bringing that lighter side of life. Because there's a lot of responsibilities in parenthood, and sometimes it feels pretty heavy. So I loved that. And I love what you're saying too about self-care in addition to just the listening, but particularly, I mean, I, it sounds pretty full on to be having three children of, of with such a big range of ages mm. um, and meeting everybody's needs in that picture must be really challenging. So I love that you brought in that around self-care for yourself to keep you sane so that you can then be meeting everybody's needs. I'd love to know a bit more about what that looks like for you. What do you do for self-care? Yeah, I've got a doggy, so I like doing a walk with a doggy. Dance of it. So I, I've throughout my whole career as a dancer, I've taught and then not taught, taught and then not taught. But teaching dance is really, I love it because it just gets me back and gets creativity. So although I'm teaching to give to the students, it's also totally for me too, <laughs> because preparing for the class, I'm being creative in what I'm making and offering and then obviously the exercise of delivering the class and what I get back from the children and the adults I teach so that for me I do see as although it's part of my job is still feel it's part of my self-care I enjoy hanging out with my friends so we have I have probably two or three different groups of friends that we do various little get-togethers so I try and fit those in 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 at least one kind of catch up with friends in a month if not a day out, we've had some lovely days out, nice bit shopping day or been to see a show, which has been nice. And then I'm, this is a bit I'm not so good at. I'm trying to have more still, more calm. And this has been really lovely with the work that I've been doing, which has been looking at how to process trauma through movement and doing this body scan and relaxation part. So it's a new part of my work that I'm looking into. And I've actually really enjoyed it for myself. I've created this whole body scan relaxation, which is really lovely connecting through touch and breath with the body. And so uh, even delivering that and doing that on myself is allowing my body and my my emotional state and my, uh, yeah, just to stop and to kind of connect in more. So that has been really helpful to just bring that more stillness and more presence into my body. So is there any other things I do? Maybe I would like to say I have a hot bath every now and again. It's probably once in every couple of months, but I'd like to bring that in more. But yeah, and, and listening partners, I think are just really great for me in the way that I process and, and my, yeah, and cognitively mm-hmm. process my emotions. I love that too. I think it's really lovely to remember that we often think of self-care as being going on silent retreat for two months in the Himalayas, but actually sometimes it is just like you say, it can come in from what you're doing for your work. And I loved how you were talking about the how your dance training that you're doing with others really does care for you to to be doing that because on the one hand it is exploring and, and 
meeting your needs for creativity, but also the exercise element. And it ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't it, dance? I can really yeah, yeah. love it as well. And But I love that reminder that it can be in the work that you're taking care of yourself if you're just being a bit mindful and a bit aware of, of how it's also impacting you and your body. And I loved what you're talking about, the stillness and the calm too, because in our lives, we're so rushed and we're so busy. And I imagine with three kids, you're incredibly busy running around doing all kinds of things and your business and your new courses and all those things that you're doing. So it does take this sort of mindful deliberateness sometimes just mm -hmm. to slow down. And, and that's, and we're not doing it in a way that is like bypassing for, for our feelings, but it's just as a way of, of settling our nervous system back into balance. Because so often we're in this even if we're listening to lots of feelings and even if we're getting lots of listening ourselves, we are often in this sort of chronic state of hyper arousal or dissociation or, or from one mm. to the other. And so having these moments where we're really deliberately doing things that bring stillness and calm, relaxation, breath work, all that sort of stuff is is so powerful. And yeah, so again, it's a really great thing to be modeling to our children, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And connecting out every morning for breakfast me and my four-year-old will sit and we'll look into the garden we'll look up at the sky and talk about what color the sky is and if there's any blueness that we can see if <laughs> it's all gray and then we spot the birds and we just take that moment every morning we sit together and we just either count how many birds there are or just have a look see which ones we can and today he was running up and getting his bird book to try and figure out which bird we had seen and just that moment to start the day where we can just connect and also connect into nature and just to take a few minutes just to kind of, yeah, see what's happening in our world outside for the, before we start the day. I really love that bit. It's really nice. So sweet. So sweet. So what about some of the other elements then of aware parenting? I'm, I'm wondering how it's gone for you on that journey. If you've if you've come from a more sort of authoritarian and, and permissive at different times approach, how has it been for you adjusting to not having punishments in the family or not having rewards in the family? How has that process been? Yeah, I think uh, so. We've tried a few family meetings in the early days. We went, I went straight in with all the family meetings and trying to look at different ways again because the children were older so kind of bringing in conversation and trying to have that way to be able to allow their them to choose kind of what the limits would be rather than it being a punishment or award right when they were little my journey was definitely you know naughty step was the thing when I was bringing up my kids like that was you know that was the way you did it and the controlled crying shutting the door and allowing them to cry on their own like that's just what you did like I mean I think back now I just yeah got a lot of compassion to myself <laughs> but that was how it was and so obviously that was that was taken out of our that wasn't a part of our life anyway when I was came to aware parenting but the ability for them, the, ch the older children, to have more say and decide how, like, for example, with screen time, rather than, you know, coming off of screens for that to be seen as a punishment, them, it, that way of giving information and letting them understand what's happening in the body and, and noticing kind of it as being a control pattern. So, yeah, allowing them to kind of choose has been a real and allowing them to have their voice being heard and us kind of going on that juggle of like, well, I'm not really keen for you to be on it more than three hours or whatever it might be, two hours. So and he's like, well, I want to do that, you know, so kind of having that juggle and coming together to find a solution has been really helpful. 
with my older two and again navigating so my eldest has had a girlfriend for the last three years so nearly four years they've been together so long-term girlfriend so again negotiating all of that side of things from quite a young age and how to allow them to go through all that what that feels like to have another partner and sharing their lives together with also being quite young and you know having to talk through what's okay for me and then listening to what's okay for him and then yeah kind of coming together with the way forward so that I guess that that kind of conversation I can't really remember when that changed actually I guess there would always be that kind of conversation but it's less more than ended with me going right that's it we're doing it this way there is still the conversation just keeps going we keep going backwards and forwards and just noticing that when it's yeah, when it comes into more authoritarian, going back into that kind of way of allowing the the conversation to happen and the juggle to happen. And with my four-year-old, yeah, well, he was obviously one. I don't, I don't recall so much. I mean, I've got a shocking memory, so <laughs> I'm sure there was plenty of times. The rewards, it's interesting with navigating with the schooling and with the rewards. So um, like we have a star of the day in our school for the, in, he's in reception and they get to be star of the day and they're told you know for they've been good at whatever they've done for, to receive this being star of the day so immediately when he came back as star of the day we went online and bought a load of the star of the day stickers and I just said well you're my star of the day every single day you don't have to do anything or be anything to be you are my star of the day so he has this whole wadge of star of the day stickers that um, he gives out to us when he feels like we need, <laughs> need to be star of the day or we have and we yeah so we immediately went straight in with our own way of doing star of the day at home. And yeah, there's obviously lots of challenges with the schooling system. And that's obviously a daily kind of navigation and, and seeing kind of how we can bring that into our home. So it doesn't and just and again, just talking to him about that. he He's amazing just the way he is and he doesn't need to do or be anything to receive love. And so we've brought in our own little ways for, for dealing with that at home, I guess. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, I loved what you're saying about that, the self-compassion that you're offering yourself in relation to how things were in the past with the naughty step or control crying or whatever. And then these ongoing respectful conversations that you have together as a family where you you ensure that everybody in the family is is heard and has the opportunity to share what, what their thoughts and feelings are and then bringing in choice and negotiation around it all so that Again, you you can really bring that trust in and, and allowing to offer them guidance, but to come together as a family and to make decisions that that actually meet everybody's needs. And I think that's just such a beautiful and profound process to be part of. And it's just so much more. It's just so much more. There's so many opportunities there for learning, for connection, for for feeling unconditionally loved for everybody. And it's just, it's such a beautiful process. And I loved what you were sharing around the rewards and the stickers from school and that he, you were able to bring that play into it. And how amazing for a four-year-old to hear, yeah, you're my star of the day every day and you don't have to be anything in order to be loved. And I loved you all the time and you can give out stickers too. And then it doesn't really matter what they encounter in the outside world, does it? Because they come home and they can make sense of it with us by us listening to their feelings and giving them information and then bringing play into it too. So that's just such a beautiful description. That's yum. Yeah. It's really, yeah, it's really lovely. It's, and it's great. You can just see, and I think some of his friends he might've had, I think we had a star of the days on the back of our phone, <laughs> the stickers. I think the teachers are like, Oh, where are these coming from? 
because I've been at that school now for yeah 14 years or whatever 13 years or since my oldest has been there so yeah so it's the journey has been has been good bringing that into the home and taking away some of the rewards and punishments Mm, so nice and what about dealing with the judgments of others did you find after raising your children one way with presumably other families if you've lived in the same area for many years and then suddenly to be shifting things in the way that you're parenting obviously you had the support of your sister and your best friend but has that been difficult to navigate uh, suddenly doing things differently i think because the when i was started my I was right at the end of the primary and then we had the pandemic. So my elders were going into secondary or already in secondary or going into secondary school. And I think there's a natural kind of step back from the parents that I would have seen. And then the one year old wasn't in any of the schooling system. So I didn't have loads of people around that would have necessarily seen. And luckily my best friend that I speak to all the time, I just brought her along the journey, um, which she is now loving, but it, yeah, so I guess it doesn't, there wasn't masses of change, but what I can see now going back into the school system, so from being out of it for a few years and not doing the school, you know, well, I say a few years, one year, I was doing playgroup run. I can see that the other parents, it's just so, it's just such a different way in the schooling and the wording that's used in the playground and, you know, stop doing that or do this or, do, you know, and it's just really interesting being back in that, in that setting and I guess I I don't really naturally connect with many of the people in the in the playground so I just kind of keep we just kind of have our life outside I guess so I don't see it as much but I have noticed when he comes out of school and he if he wants to release that there is some lots of people looking are you okay is he okay he had oh yeah I'm just remembering now we went to a like a car boot sale or something and I there he was led on the floor having a massive release I guess he was three then and probably five people came up to me and were like oh do you need an ambulance you're okay (laughs) like is he okay like was something has he really hurt himself I'm like no no we're we're all good thank you so much for it but I'm just totally fine and yeah it's just interesting that kind of response I just guess going back in through schooling again I feel like you kind of go out of it a bit when they go into secondary the physical yourself being in the in the setting and going back in you can just see that I can just notice a difference way I'm so much more observant of how other people are with their children and just how much it just makes me love aware parenting even more I guess Mm. and just wanting to like tell everybody (laughs) yeah it's so interesting isn't it when our children are having big feelings in public how how difficult it is for people and how how few people understand mm. this approach and it it can be can be really really interesting the responses that we get from people and yeah it, it's we, there's still a big way to go i mean aware parenting is growing definitely but there is still a lot a lot of of change that needs to happen in terms of what people understand about children and their needs for and, and yeah to thrive and how we can support them best and all of those sorts of things is there anything specific along those lines that you would really love people to that you think is really misunderstood in our culture that you would love people to understand differently yeah that crying is incredible and when we can look at crying I've been brought up in a in a family of fear you know like life was fearful life is scary that was what my upbringing was you I look and you can see that life is scary when looking at the parents my parents and so to know that actually crying and raging is so 
releasing and actually okay and like the life isn't going to fall apart if you cry and you will stop crying like you're not gonna I think there's that fear that you're never gonna stop crying I remember that when I started my inner work journey I was just like oh my god I'm never gonna stop crying I'm just gonna be crying forever and that actually the tears are gonna come but they're gonna be healing and the what you're gonna feel after is just gonna be so amazing and that you can and holding space you can and be the boundaries has been a massive journey for me learning boundaries and knowing that when my children cry that's okay I don't need to take that on like that's their healing and I can be here to hold the space and totally be with them presently and be present in the moment but know that I'm going to be okay they can cry and I'm still going to be okay you know my life I'm not gonna nothing's bad's gonna happen to me if I allow my children to cry like it's it's a good thing for them to release and to welcome that and to have the confidence to sit with the tears and to have the confidence and the empowerment to sit through the rages and to know that you're going to, you know, it's going to end. It's not going to go on forever and ever. I think that's a real thing that I even still now I have to remind myself, I'm not going to be here all day. Like it's going to end at some point. And I definitely, when you're processing accumulated tears, I can, and rage, gosh, it's, it's big, it's massive it can feel quite scary especially when your children are older I think that's what I've noticed with my child he's nearly my height and he's big he's 12 you know and they that feeling that it's gonna kind of never end and that it's gonna get really too big that you can't handle or actually having the trust and confidence in yourself that you have the ability to hold and that you don't need to jump inside your inner child and your younger self can feel you know you can be there for that person at the same time as being there for your child and know and having that capacity to put either your inner self to the side and whatever feelings coming up from your past to the side so you can be fully present and knowing that you have the strength to do both of those things like it feels so unachievable sometimes I think when you're in the midst of your own kind of trauma it can feel so unattainable that you could ever be able to hold yourself and hold another and especially when it's your child and they look so much in pain and they look so, God, they're just so out of their body processing all this deep stuff. And it feels like, God, how can you, like, how can you hold that? But actually we're so powerful as humans that we have the capacity to, you know, it's incredible really when you think of what we can do in the journey and the healing that we can heal in ourselves. And at the same time, we can hold someone else. And actually it can be quite, you can step out and just feel so empowered and so great from going through that process. So I guess it's more it's a bit of a long answer, sorry, but the crux of what I'm saying is trusting for me is a massive thing. Trusting in yourself, trusting in the journey, and trusting that your child can heal. I guess that's the biggest thing. And trusting in the tears that are coming and allowing, you know, and knowing that you can sit with the tears and still be okay is a big a big thing. Hmm. Yeah. I love that answer. I really love that. You're talking about the power of crying. You're talking about us feeling really confident in our ability to be with the feelings, to welcome the tears and the raging and to, to be with the big feelings in the, in their big bodies. And often there's a sort of real catastrophe about what they're sharing and how big and awful it is. And yet when we come back to that, we can just, I loved you said that, you're trusting in yourself, trusting in the journey, trusting in the tears, trusting in your power to hold the space, and then trusting in the healing that's going to come. I think that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. 
So is there anything else that we haven't spoken about before we go on and talk about your your work and your offerings? Is there anything else around aware parenting that you would love to share before we finish? I guess just that it's so multi-layered and the reminder that it's a journey is really helpful for me and it's a never-ending journey and you're definitely going to make mistakes and you're definitely going to get it wrong like a million times and coming to terms with that as a parent early on was key for me to to step into being a parent like knowing that I was going to get it wrong and knowing that it's going to be okay was just really good for me to feel and having like really truly feeling compassion to myself was a massive game changer for me and I would say that's you know that happened not straight away as soon as I found aware parenting that was another kind of journey to really I'd heard Marion talked about you know dropping the guilt stick and I was like yeah yeah I'm doing that I'm doing that and I'm like and then it wasn't until I truly felt compassion I was like oh no now I'm doing it like now I can feel in my body compassion for the lineage of trauma that's been in our lives and having that true compassion with aware parenting lens and like taking away that guilt and shame is just a and really trusting that it's a journey and that the timing that you learn the next part about aware parenting whether it's really getting into the loving limits whether it's really understanding your control patterns or the children's control patterns you know whatever part of the multi-layeredness there is to aware parenting that you're going to really learn it and understand it and embed it in your parenting at the time that's right for you and your family. When I've spoken with clients, you know, they're like, oh, but what about this? What about this? And then I find myself giving so much information, but actually sometimes that's too overwhelming and too much too soon. And knowing that trusting, yeah, in the timing of the information coming is really key for me and just reminding ourselves it's a long journey and that there's always time for healing is such a an amazing part to be reminded of Mm, yeah absolutely because it's not a quick fix and in our culture we're so often looking for quick fixes and in parenting we're often being offered quick fixes but yeah where parenting is a long game and it it goes on and it goes on and it keeps going on for the duration of your life probably uh, in relation to to your children, healing yourself, supporting them. And I love that piece around compassion and really, really offering ourselves that deep, deep love for all the times that we make mistakes, which we're inevitably yeah. going to do, and that there is no perfect aware parenting. And it's not that we're trying to raise perfect children. And if our children aren't perfect, then we've somehow failed. I really love this idea that it's just this ongoing way of living and relating and offering love and healing to ourselves and our children and that that's really what it's all about so I loved how you described that yeah thank you so if people want to find out about you and what do you offer how can people find out more and and what are you offering at the moment obviously there's this play workshop coming up what what can you share about how people can work with you yeah. So I've got a website, which is vickyploma.com. And on there, there's all what I offer. So one-to-one support, couples support, workshops and introduction to web parenting and workshops in connecting through play and laughter, teacher support. So just in the classroom, if things are feeling too much to handle, just little ways to talk through how we can support, you know, your journey as a teacher and also um, what's happening in the in the classroom. 
And then I'm just about to set up on that website a page about my dance, like movement and processing trauma through movement. So I'm offering kind of a one-to-one body relaxation and connection into the body. So it's really about just connecting back into the body through a meditation journey, through touch and breath. And then if and once you've kind of done that stage one, there's a stage two where you could look at stepping into a trauma or a trauma or a stressful time and looking at where that's being held in the body and allowing your body to process and move in the way that it needed to in that trauma and allowing that to kind of come out through your body. So there's kind of a two stage and I'm hoping over the next few months to develop a course that we for kind of a three or six month course around connecting to the body and processing what's happening in the body. So yeah, but all be on the website. I've got an Instagram page can't remember what it's called I think it's Vicky Ploma Aware Parenting and then a Facebook page as well Vicky Ploma so yeah connect on socials or on the website right lovely and I'll put all those links in the show notes so that's wonderful thank you so much for sharing all that I really love the sound of what you're offering and I'm particularly interested in this processing trauma through dance and movement I think that's got really immense power for people so I look forward to to learning more about that the last thing I always ask people, Vicky, is what you would say to yourself if you could go back to the beginning of this process. What would you have loved to have known at the beginning? Or what would you say to somebody coming into aware parenting slightly later with their children to that you that you deeply know now that you would have loved to have known then? You're doing a fantastic job with the information you have at the time you are now. And that's all you can do. That wait for the timing to receive the next bit of information, trust the timing and know that you're doing the best job you can with what you have now. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's so reassuring, isn't it? And and of course, that's mm. the beauty with the word parenting that whatever happens, we can heal from it. Whatever happens to our children, we can support them to heal. And so, yeah, we can just really trust, trust the process, trust our children. Yeah, so lovely. That's no, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and taking time to share everything with us, all of your experiences. I think it's really profoundly helpful for people to share everybody's stories and to hear how where parenting has been in, in their families. And I'd really appreciate you sharing, honestly, some of the challenges that you've had, as well as all the beautiful things that you've done to overcome them. So thanks so much for making time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.